It's great to be with you again. I, I think today is going to be a good day. Last Sunday, last week after church, I learned that if there's a westerly wind ripping through Somis, and you go to take off a 30-foot tarp off your roof that's surrounded by sandbags and even a makeshift sandbag in the form of a five-gallon bucket of paint, and you take the sandbags off of the other end while it's still windy, the tarp will violently fill like a parachute opening, pushing said five-gallon bucket over. And being that roofs are sloped and buckets are round, my five-gallon bucket of paint rolled off my roof. And it landed on the concrete patio below. And when a five-gallon bucket of paint hits concrete from a roof, it no longer is a paint container, it is a paint applicator, i.e. a cordless paint sprayer. And it painted the concrete patio, it painted the, the carpet on top of the patio, it painted the patio furniture, it painted the walls of the house, it painted the picture hanging over the furniture. It painted the sliding glass door, the sliding glass door screen, three windows, the pots and their plants, my son's soccer shoes, my wife's gym shoes, and of course, that barbecue in the distance in that picture. Now that's after I already washed off as much as I could of the picture and the walls and the furniture. But anyway, you can, you can take that down. <laughs> uh, you can, no, don't show that picture yet. You can... Get rid of that picture. Just go back to, there you go. You could say for me that that bucket of paint was a bucket of pain. And I was reading in Friday in my devotions, and I was in Job chapter 30, verse 15. And this isn't funny, but I'm reading in Job 30, 15, and he says, my dignity is driven away as by the wind. Right. Anyway, sometimes things just don't go as planned. They just don't go the way that you want them to. And that's how it was for the religious leaders when Jesus started his ministry. Because Jesus was doing what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And they didn't like that. They didn't like the fact that when Jesus was teaching, he taught as if he had authority, though he had never studied under a rabbi. They didn't like the fact that when Jesus was teaching, he taught as if he was the authority. And they didn't like the fact that he was gaining in popularity at their expense. And so they wanted to destroy Jesus. But by the time that we get to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has already turned water into wine. He has already delivered a demon-possessed man. He's already intervened in the, the, the life of a Samaritan woman and people in her village. He has already healed a man with leprosy. He's healed a paralyzed man that was lowered through the ceiling. He has healed Peter's mother-in-law from a fever, and he has healed a man with a withered hand. And word has gotten out. And people from all over Galilee are coming to Jesus. But just not just Galilee. People from all over Israel and beyond the borders. And they're coming to Jesus for 
healing. They're coming to see this man who's doing amazing things. And all kinds of people from the, from the super Orthodox Jews to the Hellenistic Jews, those who have kind of accepted the Roman way of doing things. Even the higher uppers from Jerusalem. The, the Pharisees, the religious leaders from the temple of God have come out to rebuke Jesus. And even Jesus' mother and brothers. Because, you know, after the Immaculate Conception, Mary and Joseph, they had children. And Jesus' mother and his brothers, or you could say half-brothers, they come to rescue him because they think he's gone mad. And it is in this context of all these multitudes of people coming to Jesus in the northern hills of, of Israel that he looks out at them and he has his 12 disciples who in the third chapter of Mark, he, he picks and he chooses to carry on the message of the good news of God after he is crucified. He, in, in this context, Jesus teaches us a parable, a teaching story about the human heart. So let's see what Jesus said in the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Before we do that, let's pray. God, I just uh, once again pray that I would connect with your heart so that I can speak what you want me to say to your congregation. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read from the New International Version. And this is what it says. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, and that being the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Tiberias, or as we know it, the Sea of Galilee, which wasn't a sea. It was a freshwater lake about 13 miles long, 8 miles wide, 141 feet deep, and uh, actually one of the lowest bodies of freshwater in the world at just under 700 feet below sea level. And so he's teaching by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12, his disciples, and the others around him asked him about the parable. So they were seeking an answer. On Valentine's Day, uh, my wife left this jar of Hershey's Kisses on the table with a card and there's a picture. Yeah, that's, that's after I've already eaten a bunch of them. Anyway, you can take that down. And uh, later on in the day, she says, 
did you notice that they were dark chocolate? And she knows I, I like dark chocolate, not, not because it tastes better than milk chocolate, because it, it doesn't, but I, I, it's healthier for one. But also, I just like the words dark and chocolate together. It's just like, it's like the right balance. It's like a pastor riding a Harley. I mean, it's just like this, right? I mean, like, would Batman eat milk chocolate? No, he would eat dark chocolate, like dark chocolate, you know? Because like, it's just the right comment anyway. So she goes, do you know, do you know if they're dark chocolate? I said, no. She goes, I looked, I looked really hard to find those. So I'm thinking, okay, she started out at the 99 cent store. She went to the Dollar Tree. Then she went to Vaughn's. And finally, maybe she found them at Trader Joe's. So I go, where did you find them? Target. I'm thinking, Target? Like, like you shop there like, at, like six times a week minimum. Like, and all the Valentine stuff is like in one section. Like it's right there. Like how could that be? And she knows. She knows what I'm thinking. As soon as she says Target, she knows what I'm thinking because she knows that I know that she's always there. And so she laughs and she goes, no, what I mean is when I was at the Valentine's section, like I, was, I saw these Hershey Kisses. They're all milk chocolate. The bags are all milk chocolate. So I was looking and I was searching and I finally found this one bag of dark chocolate. It was the last bag. And so I got it for you. That was sweet. Thank you. But, you know, she found it because she was searching. And here, the disciples of Jesus and others around him, they were seeking something and they were seeking an answer. And any time that you seek God, any time you, you seek an answer or something that he wants to give you and you go to him in prayer, he'll give that to you. And so he gives them the answer to their question. What does the parable mean? So he says, starting in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Back then, a sevenfold harvest was considered a good one. But some will produce 30, 60, even 100 times. So the disciples were asking for the answer, and Jesus gives it to them. And how I see it is Jesus gives us four conditions of the heart. And the first condition being the, the hard heart, the hard path, the concrete slab heart, you could say. And God, Jesus, could, God could be painting his love, his goodness around their life, but their heart is so hardened against God that they reject it. Like the Pharisees, who the last time we looked in the Gospel of Mark in chapter three, 
They're in a synagogue, and Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand, and he's healed. They see Jesus performing this miracle of love, yet their hearts are still so hardened against God that there's so much indifference in there. They still reject him and want to kill him. The hard heart, like Paul, the apostle. Before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus, helping them kill Christians. He's on his way to Damascus. You know the story. They're gonna, he's gonna, he has letters to arrest more Christians, and he's on the way to Damascus. And this, this light shines down, blasts down from heaven, brighter than the sun, blinding him in a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Jesus. And at that moment, Jesus plows open his heart and breaks the hardness of his heart. And so, listen, church, we all know people who are indifferent towards God, but there's hope because we can intervene in their lives through prayer. So let's keep praying for for them. The second condition is, I would call it the shallow heart. Yeah, that's great. Oh, God is good. Yes, I want to get baptized. Let's do this. But underneath the soil, the, is, there's a lot of rocks. There's a lot of hardness still. There's, still. there's still this idolatry. There's more fear of what people will think than care about what God thinks. And they're, they're the emotional, impulsive hearted people. They may look like Christians, but when it comes down to it, they, they fall away. One time, my wife was on Craigslist looking for stuff, and she sees this chair, and she says, that chair looks familiar. Hey, that chair looks really fr- That's my chair. I had impulsively taken a chair out of our shed and put it on Craigslist because I'm like the opposite of a hoarder. I like to, I like to declutter. I wanted room in my shed to put more stuff in. And I, I just impulsively put it on Craigslist. And, and one time when we, we, uh, we moved to Somos, you know, we, we went from a house with a one-car garage to a house with a two-car garage, which is great for me because as a dude, I'm like, yes. I can put my tools, the Christmas stuff, and my car in the garage now. And, and so I'm going through some boxes in the garage, and I'm throwing some stuff away. And Tammy comes home, and she takes the trash out. Like, literally... She takes the trash out of the trash can, the stuff I thought was trash that I threw away. She puts it back into a box, and she writes a little note on it. Doesn't say anything, writes a note on it, sticks it in the middle of the garage, and I walk in, and this is what I I see. I don't know if you can read that, but... (laughs) Throw away, you die. And we, have a, we laugh about stuff like this. We have a, a fun relationship. But you know, the shallow-hearted, the shallow-hearted person 
is on their way to spiritual death because of the idolatry in their heart because God can't get through. Let's continue to pray for those people as well. And then third, there's the, can you guys hear me okay? There's the crowded heart. There's the heart that just doesn't have any room for God. It is more idolatry. It is wanting things. It is having a lust for material things. It is, it is making money their God. And they're so worried. They're so, that, that they just spend their lives just chasing after, trying to accumulate things. The Wall Street Journal did, uh, they interviewed top executives making 100,000 to a million dollars a year. And they asked them, what is your top fear? And unanimously, they, they all said, not having enough. So they asked them, well, how much is enough? A little bit more. A little bit more. It'll never satisfy. And they too are on their way to spiritual death. I think if, if Adam and Eve could stand before them and give them one piece of advice, it would be, if the devil can deceive you, he can defeat you. If the devil can deceive you into thinking that anything is more precious than a relationship with God, then he's defeated you. There was a Texas billionaire who was getting very old and he, he had this big party and he invites everyone in the town. And there's a big stir going on outside by his Olympic-sized pool because in his pool there was crocodiles and venomous snakes. Even some piranha and some of the snakes were missing because the piranha were hungry. But he has, everybody's gathered around this pool and he says, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming out. I'm getting old, and I would like to pass on my inheritance to someone brave enough to deserve it. So the first person to swim from the deep end to the shallow end where I'm standing will, will get everything I've got. All of a sudden, there was a splash. Everyone looks down, and there's a man swimming from the deep end all the way across the pool faster than an Olympic swimmer jumps out the shallow end and the billionaire says, wow, congratulations. How in the world did you do that? You just inherited everything I have. And the man says, I don't know, but I just have one question. Who pushed me? <laughs> the crowded hearted person is risking spiritual death as well. Eternal separation from God. Eternal separation from love, from kindness, from gentleness, from peace. So there's the hard heart. There's the shallow heart. There's the crowded heart. And then there's the open heart. The heart that says, you know, God, I understand that he or she is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The open heart understands 
the truth of Helen Keller's statement that there is nothing in the world so beautiful that you can see it or even touch it. The most beautiful things in this world are only those things that can be felt with the heart. And the open-hearted person is says, God, I, I believe that you love me and you want to forgive me and have, and they've received God's forgiveness. They've experienced the relationship that will never betray, that will never walk out. So where are you? What, what is the condition of your heart? I want to close with this story. True story. A property up in Northern California went up for sale. And a couple bought it. And one day, the, it's a, it has acreage. And one day, the, the husband was walking his dog along one of the trails on the property. And he looks over and he sees in the soil something that looks like the top of a paint can or a coffee can. And he goes over to remove the trash from his property and he discovers it's, it's actually buried in the soil. And so he digs it out. And then there's another can and he digs that out. And there was three cans and he digs them out. He takes them back to his garage and he opens the lid. True story. In the cans are gold coins from the late 1800s in mint condition. Just the gold itself was valued at $27,000, but the coins being rare and in mint condition, $11 million. Let me ask you, what if you were the buyer who passed up that property and you found out about the treasure? Wow. If your heart is in a, a hard condition or a shallow condition or even a crowded condition, you're passing up a treasure for eternity. Would you bow your heads and, and close your eyes? After preaching a message like this, I would be a, not a very good preacher if I didn't give you an opportunity to turn your life over to Jesus if you haven't already done that. So I would just like to, to ask if, if you're, or say, if you're, if you're in this sanctuary right now, it, it's not... It's not by coincidence, it's not by mistake that you're here for a reason. And if you have, maybe you've grown up in Sunday school, I don't care. You've been at church a long time, I, it doesn't matter. Are you playing games with God? That's a risky game to play. So I just want to give you this opportunity. If you would like to say, This is the day I. I know I surrendered my life to God. I know I received his forgiveness for eternity. I would just invite you to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. 
If that is you, just raise your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. Is there anybody else? I see your hand. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Congregation, would, would you just, let's all re repeat these words. I'll, I'll lead us in a prayer and let's all repeat these words. And you just mean what, what you say. And let me tell you this, that when you pray this prayer, the angels in heaven, those of you that raised your hand, the angels in heaven are going to be celebrating over you because of this decision you made. Let's pray. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. That you came to this earth to die for me. To restore me back to the father and to yourself. I'm sorry for all the times I've messed up. Forgive me. Thank you. I love you, God. May your plan and your purpose for me come to fruition now. Amen.